It's Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a dive into the viscous depths of the unshakable ketchup bottle and its 57 different origin stories. Plus, NASA released the sound of an actual black hole and expected and unexpected chicken wing news. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Love it or hate it, there is no doubt of ketchup's popularity in North America. It's frequently touted as one of Canada's favorite condiments, and here in the U.S., while it's often pitted against mustard as if they were equals, for the last three years, sales of ketchup in the U.S. have been almost double that of mustard. The real opponent, if we were to go strictly on sales, would be ranch, which ketchup has been neck and neck with on sales numbers for the last three years. Now, while ranch and mustard both have their own fascinating histories, today I want to dive into the savory history of the nation's most iconic and perhaps most confused condiment, and how it is that we ended up with pretty much just one dominant version of a once diverse to the point of eluding definition sauce. The very first evidence we have for the sauce that would become ketchup dates back to 544 CE in China, from the Qimen Yaoshu, the most completely preserved of the ancient Chinese agricultural texts. It contains an origin story about the accidental discovery of the sauce and instructions for recreating it yourself. Back then, however, it was not ketchup, but rather a kind of fish sauce, originally made from yellowfish, shark, and mullet. And like with so many things, British colonizers in about the 1500s were introduced to the fish sauce and brought it back with them to Britain, where, over the years, they transformed it from its original version. Quoting Fast Company, By the time the British discovered ketchup, the recipe had been simplified into a pungent, amber-colored liquid made of salted and fermented anchovies. When British traders headed back to England with a taste for the sauce, they attempted to recreate it, anglicizing it with the addition of, what else, beer. Eventually, anchovies were taken out of the sauce entirely and replaced with walnut ketchup, Jane Austen's favorite kind, and mushroom ketchup, which tastes similar to Worcestershire sauce. In fact, even as they experimented with every other variety, the English enjoyed ketchup for close to 200 years before anyone thought of chucking a tomato in the mix. The resistance to tomato ketchup can largely be chalked up to the widespread misconception among Europeans that tomatoes, which looked nearly identical to deadly nightshade berries, were poisonous. Tomatoes were largely considered an ornamental curiosity for gardens ever since Cortez had brought them back from the Americas in the 1500s, but they weren't meant to be eaten, end quote. If you've ever wondered about the redundancy of the phrase tomato ketchup, that's your answer. For most of its life, ketchup was not made from tomatoes. In addition to mushrooms, walnuts, and anchovies, Andrew Smith, in his book Pure Ketchup, A History of America's National Condiment, lists 50 different historical ketchup recipes, most of which have nothing to do with tomatoes. There's apricot, cranberry, lobster, mussel, rum, herring, liver, kidney bean, pepper, whortleberry, squash, wine, and several like cold ketchup, old beer ketchup, ketchup to keep seven years, and ketchup to keep 20 years. Variety abounds. 57 varieties, you might say. 
And actually, quick sidebar, the 57 varieties label on Heinz ketchup bottles literally means nothing, and never has. You might think, after what I just shared, that once upon a time, Heinz manufactured all those old recipes, liver ketchup, elderberry ketchup, but no. Heinz mostly just made regular tomato ketchup, but they did also make other products, as they still do. Baked beans, soups, etc. And as I'll elaborate more in a moment, Henry Heinz, founder of H.J. Heinz Company, was huge into advertising. According to Fast Company, Heinz saw an ad once for a company that made 21 varieties of shoes, and he thought that sounded pretty good. So he came up with a random number, he picked his favorite number 5 and combined it with his wife's favorite number 7, and started putting 57 varieties labels on his products, even though at the time his company already made over 60 different products. But the one important thing to know about the 57 varieties label, it's strategically placed on the glass bottles of ketchup. That's the exact place you should thump the bottle when trying to get the ketchup out. As a non-Newtonian fluid, ketchup naturally travels at a speed of 147 feet per hour, and if you're not that patient, you've gotta hit the bottle to get it going faster. But hitting the bottom just gets the ketchup at the very bottom of the bottle moving. The force gets absorbed before it reaches the ketchup at the top. That's why you've gotta hit it closer to the top of the bottle, right on the 57 varieties label. But anyways, even if Heinz doesn't make 57 varieties of ketchup, there are still many, many varieties in the name and spelling of ketchup itself. While most American companies these days spell it K-E-T-C-H-U-P, you can still spot the odd catsup or even the occasional catchup, C-A-T-C-H-U-P. And while some sources claim particular origins of the word, Smith is clear that no one really knows. Quote, For almost two centuries, speculation has raged regarding the origin of the word and what it signifies. End quote. Potential contenders for the word's origin over the years have included escavetch from the French for food in sauce, or a similar variant in Spanish and or Portuguese, which may have come from the Arabic iskebe, and from escavetch was anglicized to cavetch and later ketchup. There's also the Japanese word kitjap, K-I-T-J-A-P, except it turns out that's not a Japanese word at all. So the Oxford English Dictionary says maybe someone meant to write Javanese because some people think that the word ketchup could have been derived from the Malay language. And others think that it could come from the Indonesian word for fish and soy sauce, kekap, K-E-C-A-P, actually pronounced ketchup. Mark Kurlansky, in his book Salt, A World History, states this as fact, noting the sheer number of spices and condiments that the English took from Asia beginning during the medieval spice trade. A likely contender is kutsap, from the Amoy dialect of Chinese, meaning the brine of a pickled fish. And this adds up with the fish sauce in ancient China origin story, but etymologists say it doesn't quite track. As Smith writes, quote, Perhaps due to this etymological imbroglio, ketchup is among the few commonly eaten products with no agreed-upon spelling. As the domestic chemist pointed out in 1831, these words indicate a sauce of which the name can be pronounced by everybody, but spelled by nobody. End quote. And while we were quibbling about the spelling over the years, debates were also raging about the proper ingredients, especially as the condiment moved from a household recipe to a manufactured consumer good. 
While homemade ketchup was typically fermented and therefore able to last for several years, it had a few downsides that became liabilities when they went outside the home. The flavor from fermenting was a bit sour, but of a bigger concern was the propensity for fermented ketchup bottles to explode. Not good no matter where the bottle came from, but if it was bought from a company rather than made by your grandma, that company could be sued. So manufacturers began experimenting with other ways to keep the ketchup shelf stable, mostly with chemical preservatives. And according to Smith, the majority of late 19th and early 20th century ketchup samples contained some form of antiseptic. Yikes. More common, though, was sodium benzoate. The sodium salt version of benzoic acid, this preservative kept ketchup bottles shelf-stable and explosion-free. But hardliner Dr. Harvey Wiley, upon taking up his post as the chief of the Division of Chemistry of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in 1883, sought to crack down on the use of benzoate in foods. Wiley is the dude who created the infamous Poison Squad, a group of healthy young men who were made to eat huge amounts of preservative-laden foods so they could be monitored for their resulting symptoms. The Poison Squad was influential in shifting public opinion about the use of preservatives. The other factor shifting public opinion was Henry Hines. Hines was obsessed with food hygiene and sanitation. His obsession is why Hines bottles are transparent. At the time, a lot of manufacturers used preservatives to mask the taste of their decaying or bacteria-laden goods. The state of the food industry at the time was anything but clean. But Hines wanted to prove to customers that his ketchup was pure and safe. He had worked for years to figure out a recipe for ketchup that could avoid preservatives and, once he had, tried to put all other preservative-using companies out of business. Quoting Atlas Obscura, By 1906, Heinz's efforts to uncover a benzoate-free ketchup recipe bore fruit. As it turns out, American cooks had long ago figured out another way of halting fermentation and explosions. Carefully boiling ripe tomatoes, adding lots of vinegar, and sanitizing meticulously. Their earlier ketchups were medium-bodied with average acidity, Smith writes. In 1906, they replaced this ketchup with a shelf-stable, preservative-free ketchup that had twice as much salt, sugar, and vinegar as other commercial ketchups, and a full body from perfectly ripe, carefully cooked tomatoes, producing 12 million bottles of it in the next two years with little spoilage. A few years later, after a woman in Pennsylvania sent Heinz a dozen bottles of her homemade, tastier, better-looking benzoate-free ketchup, they adopted her recipe, which was also sweet, vinegary, and thick. And thanks in part to high-quality ingredients, Heinz's new tomato ketchup cost two to three times more than its competitors. But the price increase also paid for the largest advertising campaign the industry had ever seen. In one of several advertisements to grocers, Heinz stated that grocers should get rid of any chemically preserved foods before they were confiscated by the government, Smith writes. Heinz took out a two-page spread in the Saturday Evening Post that shouted in block letters, Warning! The U.S. government says benzoate of soda in foods produces injury to digestion and health. End quote. The companies that were using benzoate did not appreciate this. They formed a pro-benzoate lobby and so kicked off several years of back-and-forth accusations. Heinz, partnering with Wiley and therefore the government, though, had the upper hand. Wiley hired various studies to support Heinz's claims, and over time, through all these messy infights and Heinz's increasingly bombastic and seemingly scientifically backed-up advertising claims, Heinz's ketchup began to dominate the market. 
1908, a new study from a President Roosevelt-appointed board of scientists showed that benzoate was harmless in small quantities. But at that point, it didn't matter. Heinz had long ago won. The ketchup companies that stuck around had stopped using benzoates to adhere to public opinion, and most of the others went under. Apart from appealing to the public narrative he himself had created, the recipe cracked by Heinz chalked up another big win in the early 1900s, according to Atlas Obscura. Being of a much thicker consistency, it stuck better to the hot dogs, hamburgers, and french fries that were fast becoming national favorites. A more patriotic sauce could not be dreamt of, though Frenches did try their best by introducing bright yellow mustard as a hot dog topping at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. But that is a story we'll have to catch up on another day. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. NASA just dropped a new track on Twitter. Actually, they released it back in May, but it's getting a lot of renewed attention thanks to the agency's Exoplanets Twitter account sharing it over the weekend. This particular track is a data sonification of a black hole. As NASA explained on Twitter, quote, The misconception that there is no sound in space originates because most space is a vacuum, providing no way for sound waves to travel. A galaxy cluster has so much gas that we've picked up actual sound. Here, it's amplified and mixed with other data to hear a black hole, end quote. And before I go any further, let's just listen to this black hole. So that eerie noise is, in actuality, about 57 octaves below middle C, so far outside the range of human hearing. It was first discovered back in 2003 by NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory. Often with data sonifications, sounds are assigned to various data points, so it's more about interpreting data in audio form. But in the case of this black hole in the Perseus galaxy, actual sound waves were discovered, and then extracted and resynthesized into the range of human hearing. NASA pitched them up 144 quadrillion and 288 quadrillion times higher than their original frequency. Dang. Now, if you want to hear more sonifications done in the more traditional and more vaguely musical way, you can check out the Universe of Sound link in the show notes, which features sonifications of various celestial objects captured by the Chandra X-ray Observatory. 
If you've ever wished you could take that sticky, sweet, and savory taste of a chicken wing with you all day, wish no longer. Applebee's recently launched a chicken wing flavored lip gloss called Saucy Gloss. In collaboration with beauty brand Winky Lux, the restaurant chain has produced four different lip glosses inspired by their most popular chicken wing flavors. For 18 bucks a pop, you can get Give Me Hot Buffalo, Sweet Child Kiss, Be My Honey Pepper, or Honey Barbecue Tea. As Applebee's warns on their website, quote, Lips may be ultra-kissable after use. While supplies last, get them while they're hot, hot, hot. Glosses are not for eating. Come to Applebee's for that. End quote. Wow. Truly incredible. The lip gloss line was launched on July 29th, a day that is coincidentally both National Chicken Wing Day and National Lipstick Day. And while the site says that they're available while supplies last, the lip glosses are still available on the Winky Lux website. They're not sold out yet. And speaking of chicken wings, you may not have to depend on these lip glosses to get your fix anymore. According to a new USDA report released at the end of last week, chicken wing prices in the U.S. have dropped back down to their pre-pandemic levels. Although, as Today points out, prices may go back up with demand as NFL season kicks off on September 8th. So, you know, just this once, if you're really a big chicken wing fan, might not be a bad idea to get a huge bag of them to freeze while the prices are low. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.